baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 714, the old saying, you're only as sick as your secrets, made me want to be transparent and help the healing process. That's from John Wester, the Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it is in stark contrast to the way the archbishops in New Orleans have handled the crisis with pedophile priests. And with that, we welcome in Jason Berry, New Orleans historian, investigative journalist, author of Render Unto Rome, The Secret Life of Money in the Catholic Church. Jason, I'm a big fan of your work. I respect what you do. It's not easy, but I agree with the Archbishop of New Mexico. I'm a lifelong Catholic. This whole thing has kept me away from church. I wish I'd go back, but until everything, the scab is ripped off, until everything is exposed, I'm not going to do it. And it seems like we're a long way from that. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Tommy. <clears throat> Pardon me. Good to be with you again. Thanks for taking the time. Tell me about the um, the story that you and Ramon Vargas um, uh, broke in the Guardian. It's uh, it's a lot there. I'm just going to step back and let you tell a story, Jason. <laughs> okay. Well, it's the first of three parts. It posted yesterday, and we're exploring the bankruptcy, uh, how it came about, what it means, and the the key factor here, Tommy, is the nature of all the documentation that the church possesses about some 300 sex offenders um, on a list that has emerged uh, in fits and starts. The the archdiocese claims to have about 80 such people in its historical files, but all of the lawsuits that have been filed and other investigations show that it's almost three times that number. So you have to ask yourself, why is there this great disparity? Uh, Under bankruptcy law, once the sides start negotiating, uh, the judge, and her name is Meredith Grable, at her discretion, can put a secrecy order blanketing uh, all of those documents. That's the situation now. The, The great quote you read at the head Uh, was from Archbishop Wester. I was out in uh, Santa Fe recently, and I spent some time with him, interviewed him. Very impressive man. Uh, He made public all of the files um, after uh, the litigation, and, uh, and he won, you know, I think a good deal of respect for it. So in broad terms, that's what's the story about. You say two narratives unfolding. Tell us about that, if you would, Jason. Sure thing. Well, on the one hand, you have almost hit by hit the the legal story, uh, and part of it involves uh, a respected local uh, plaintiff attorney, Richard Trahant, who has been fined $400,000 by the judge for allegedly leaking information uh, about a a priest who had molested a girl and yet had gotten a, a job, unbeknownst to the school officials, <clears throat> pardon me, at Brother Martin. I, I checked with lawyers all over the country. No one has ever heard of a fine at, at that level. The 
so the bankruptcy is sort of a bruising story in its own. The other story really is the, the plight of the people who have filed these lawsuits uh, and some of their stories. As Ramon has reported, so has David Hammer at WWL. Um, and, you know, when I got into this and started talking to these people, I, I, I mean, you expressed great frustration at the outset in your lead into this interview. I feel the same thing. I'm a lifelong Catholic. I went to Jesuit high school. And yet I, I find it outrageous that there's so much secrecy. Um, I, I'm looking at a quote here from an attorney. New Orleans is unique. A hostile judge is bought into the church's position to attack a state court lawyer. The judge sees the lawyer as a villain, but the villain is the archbishop. Expand on that, Jason, if you would. Yes, that's from Jeff Anderson, who is a, a pioneering lawyer in the field of uh, clergy abuse. And I think he feels... I'm not a member of the bar. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I interviewed a great many lawyers, and the broad consensus was I think people were startled, agog. Look, Donald Trump got fined, uh, what was it, $15,000, I think now, by the judge uh, in his trial because he was making threats, uh, you know, on public media to some of the judicial staff. Well, Here's a guy who, uh, Trey Hant, who at least is accused of violating a secrecy order. Uh, holding aside the nature of the allegation, what he did was warn the principal of the school, you've got someone there, you might want to take a look at him. Um, it just seems so disproportionate to what he may or may not have done. And I think Anderson was sort of expressing the outrage that a, a lot of the attorneys feel, um, you know, Archbishop Amon, and, and I know him. We we have As do a cordial, I. yeah, I, we have a cordial relationship. It's hard not to like Greg Amon. I mean, he's an affable personality. But you know, they've been settling these lawsuits for years. Uh, between 2010 and 2020, they paid out about 11. I think it was 11.3 million dollars. Many of those cases uh, required victims to sign confidentiality clauses. In other words, you can't speak publicly. Well, the American bishops back in 2002, when they adopted their youth protection charter after the Boston Globe revelations, uh, committed themselves to transparency and saying, you know, we're not going to have these muzzle clauses anymore on survivors. Well, that's what the New Orleans Archdiocese has been doing. So if they're not abiding by the protocols of the National Bishops Conference and they're putting a guy who molested a girl back in the 90s into a high school without telling the members of the high school, that's an absolute contradiction in moral terms. Let me take a break. We'll pick it up. We will come back. You're talking about Paul Hart. I know him, uh, knew him rather, uh, when he was at St. Andrew and um, had numerous conversations with him. And I see, you know, one of the sub-headlines here says a kick in the gut. And we'll talk about that and what one of the survivors said. But that's how I feel, Jason, because when I knew this guy, I thought this is a good priest. This is a man that 
that that gets it that that is uh, trying to be a a, a good uh, I guess representative of Jesus on earth and then you find this out it's like holy moly and that's why I think it's so important that everything has to be revealed because going back to the Archbishop of New Mexico you're only as sick as your secrets and until you rip the scab off tell the truth that's the only time we'll be able to move on until that happens I'm not going to be able to go to church, and it just seems like a lot of intimidation going on. We'll talk about the uh, the judge dismissing four survivors from the creditors' committee and how this behavior, to me, would be reprehensible for a Fortune 500 company, let alone a church. We'll be back with Jason Berry momentarily, 721 Traffic Now, WWL. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 726, Tommy Tucker, WWL. Quickly back to Jason Barry, New Orleans historian, investigative journalist, author of Render Under Rome, Secret Life of Money in the Catholic Church. Um, he's got an article out with Ramon Vargas in The Guardian, part one today, two tomorrow, and three on over the weekend? Saturday, yeah. Saturday, all right. Jason, uh, before we get to the, the survivor being the survivors being thrown off the, the committee by the judge, when you started this, how long ago have you been looking into this? Oh, well, in 1985, I, I did the first series of uh, reports on uh, the case of Gilbert Gothay in Lafayette, Louisiana. Right. And that, I just yeah. asked, because did you have any idea it was going to unfold as it has? <laughs> no, no. I published the first of three books I've done on this topic in 1992, Lead Us Not Into Temptation. And at that time, I thought that the American bishops, because of the terrible weight of publicity and uh, legal settlements, I mean, they were just writing checks hand over fist. I figured they would reform. They would find a, a mechanism to remove these kinds of people from ministry and uh, put in safeguards so that uh, such men would not be able to flourish in the priesthood. It would take – I don't know how many programs to discuss why they have not done that. Uh, they have impaneled some reforms, to be sure. sure. But there's just a deep problem within the clerical culture. And right now, with all of these bankruptcies around the country, they are trying to hide documents to conceal the scope of what is basically a criminal sexual underground. And what's interesting to me about that is – you could say it's done under the guise of shielding assets, but is it really to shield assets or to protect secrets, or which is the primary reason there for the bankruptcy action? I, I think the reasons are entwined. Uh, you know, the, the two points you just cited, uh, yes, they are trying to hide assets. But, of course, most of the dioceses don't release the kind of financial reports that would pass muster with a CPA. <laughs> The, their financial presentations. Uh, okay. So, you know, what what is the actual net worth of the New Orleans Archdiocese? What are its assets? What could it bring to bear? Uh, whatever uh, advantage, I think, if you want to put it that way, they thought they would gain by taking Chapter 11 protection. Uh, 
at least in my view, has not materialized because it, it, it's become a, a, a very contentious battle. You know, you've got over 500 people now uh, with lawsuits pending. Uh, at least 23 of these people are in prison. Uh, these are people who went to Madonna Manor in Hope Haven, which is the subject of the story I have coming out this weekend. Well, if the intent was to hide secrets, uh, my daddy used to say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and, and I guess it's an appropriate phrase. Jason, I hope we talk to you again. Thank you for your work. I mean that sincerely. Thank you so much, Appreciate Tommy. Your time. Good day to you. I'm a big fan. Jason Barry, New Orleans historian, investigative journalist. Author of Render Unto Rome, The Secret Life of Money in the Catholic Church. Speaking of Rome, Roman Nelson joins us. We come back, superintendent of the New Orleans Fire Department. They want uh, wildlife training and gear to help next time there's a marsh fire. And then in 845, we'll talk to Jason Williams, district attorney for New Orleans, about the deal to collaborate with the attorney general's office to prosecute crime in New Orleans. Right now, time for WWL First News. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.